Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Welcome back, prom party. Hello. Wow, you've got so much energy. You're so excited. I have caffeine that has kicked in in a way that I was not prepared for because I woke up so groggy this morning. My allergies are so bad. Like, Los Angeles weather right now has just been the absolute best worst. I don't know how to describe it. Like, I like the actual temperature. My sinuses would like temperature to make up their mind because it's hurting it. It's the ups and downs of like intense heat. So everything blooms. And then like the cold dreariness of like the Pacific Northwest where it's like, it's May. Why is it like 60 degrees? Like this doesn't make (laughs) sense for this city. (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange. But you know what? I'm I'm happy. I'm because I'm not sweating my face off, which is how I usually exist out here. (laughs) It feels very appropriate because uh, we're getting very British and we haven't seen the sun for a few days. So that seems, you know, fitting. <laughs> that is very, very true. This week we are talking about the movie How to Build a Girl starring Beanie Feldstein. It is set in the UK. It's very, very cool. And I'm really excited to talk about this one. This one kind of went under the radar when it was dropped in 2020. Mm-hmm. That, there's reason for that. There was a lot of things going on that year. And luckily, we are not alone, and we are talking with the incredible Mallory O'Meara. We actually recorded with Mallory before we did this intro, so this is a bit of editing wizardry from Harmony that you're hearing. Ha ha! But before we bring on Mallory, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy Pride Month, Prime Party! We have some very uh, festive things coming to the Patreon for you this month. For our City Hawkins Dance Teen Boy movies, we're covering two uh, very different movies about gay boys uh, in Pixar's Luca and (laughs) Party Monster. So we're covering quite the spectrum with those films this month. For our musical milestones, we're taking a trip back to the 2000s and discussing kind of embarrassing millennial pride anthems that haven't aged super well. Like, do you remember a time when Same Love by Macklemore and I Kissed a Girl were really triumphant and embraced by a lot of queer people? We're going to talk about those songs and others. And for our TV Homecoming episode, we are wrapping up Freaks and Geeks. Parting is such sweet sorrow as this show definitely did not deserve to go out the way it did. In addition to all of our full-length episodes, you are going to have a somehow slightly gayer-than-normal playlist, BJ's Wellness Newsletter, and access to the 
ever popular suggestion box. We're pulling three films from it just for this month alone. If for any reason you're not able to financially support the podcast over on the Patreon this month, we totally understand. Just feel free to leave us a, a nice review, give us a, a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts, and share us with a friend if you think that they'll like what we do. With all that said, back to the movie. We are joined by author and one of the co-hosts of the Reading Glasses podcast, Mallory O'Mara. Hi, Mallory. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to cry my eyes out over this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of How to Build a Girl, how were you introduced to this movie? I literally just picked up this book in a bookstore because the cover was is like uh, two teen girl legs wearing docks. And I was like, wow, that looks cool. Um, and I picked this book up and absolutely fucking fell in love with it. And um, when it finally got adapted into a movie in 2020, I was kind of heartbroken because it came out right as COVID started. And I think mm-hmm. it should have been a much more popular movie. Mm-hmm. But I I had been waited, waiting with bated breath. I knew the author, Catelyn Moran, was, was going to be writing it. I knew who was starring in it. So I just knew it was going to be a banger. And I really was not disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's an absolute delight. And I'm glad that you brought up that it came out in 2020, because this is one of those movies that I felt was sort of unceremoniously just sort of dumped onto streaming, which is really disappointing because in our current era, something going direct to streaming doesn't necessarily mean it's like a death sentence the way that Mm -hmm. it was in the early 2000s. But a lot of really great movies, um, a lot of great adaptations, actually, just sort of got thrown onto streaming in 2020 with little to no fanfare, because the only reason I remember even watching this was because Beanie Feldstein was the the cover art on all of the streamers. And I love Beanie Feldstein for obvious reasons. Um, yes. So then I had to check it out. Um, and I was actually surprised when you had told me that you had already seen it, because I feel like I am like the one woman street team for this film. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'll say that like I had not seen it yet, but I distinctly remember on numerous streaming services, like the image of her with the top hat looking Mm -hmm. very, very presidential in that particular image. (laughs) Um, But I, I will say that to watch this, like we had to like, buy it yeah it's <laughs> it not even available, available to, to rent. rent at the time i feel really bad because when i when i had first uh thought that thought about which movie i wanted to do for this show i was like oh, how to build a girl obviously and i looked it up on google and it said that you could get it on amazon prime and in my mm-hmm. mind i was like cool it's going to be on prime streaming and then i watched it last night and i was like i have to pay 14.99 for this what the fuck yeah i was so pissed <laughs> i mean i I'm, I'm a little salty not not at you but just at like the general thing going like i know that i have like seen this on like hbo max or max as it's just called now oh, or like we Hulu, don't even like, talk about I've the seen fact this that image. max now <laughs> right it's just it's just some guy now but like <laughs> i i'm like i know i've seen this i felt like i saw this for years and just went huh and then walked on by and now it's like time to sit down and watch it it's like oh you, you son of oh a that's the curse knew. of me though it's, i i know i have to watch a movie immediately because i'm that person that whenever i choose to watch a movie will be the exact moment that it is not streaming for free anymore and i will have to yeah. pay for it yeah so i mean i don't know how long it's not been available to like even be rented much less like streaming for well, free you but can like... stream it for free if you have amc plus which no one fucking Nobody has, has. Nobody has. <laughs> a guy named max that's that's the only person who has, <laughs> has amazon prime yeah uh, so or, um, that... amc amc plus 
Yeah, so that might be, like, why this has flown under the radar, at least more recently, just because mm-hmm. it's not as easily available. Um, well, I, I mean, even when it came out, there was not my, not a lot of press about it. I really only knew about it because, just spoiler alert, folks, I am a Catelyn Moran super fan. I read all of her books. <laughs> she, Her writing really changed my life. I started reading her books when I was... I became a feminist very late. Uh, I grew up as a metalhead and spent a lot of time as a not one of those, not not like the other girls' girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s where I was like, this is bad. And I started reading a lot of feminist books and hers were some of the first and I just fell in love with her writing and I love and this she has two fiction books which is how to build a girl and then the sequel how to be famous which oh my god you two should read this if you love this movie you've got to read the sequel because it just it's just as good somehow (laughs) um and uh, you know I, I really feel like she was writing a book this story felt like it was for me personally I had a really similar feeling and what was interesting is watching this with Harmony is I realized that part of why this movie hasn't been kind of, I don't want to say like living on my heart since I saw it, uh, is because it hits me in a way that uh, taps into a very specific insecurity that I have, which is that when I got my start writing about movies as a teenage girl, I absolutely leaned into my my inner Dolly Wilde, where I was snarky, mm-hmm. and I was totally a hashtag not like most girls kind of person. And all of that, while luckily has been kind of flushed from the internet before we started archiving absolutely everything. I mean, like, I look back at my Jennifer's Body review as a 19-year-old being like, (laughs) shocker, but I actually liked it. Can you believe it? Like, I'm being such a little shit in it. and it's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. But, like, that was kind of the culture that existed for a long period of time, that if you were a woman trying to make a name in any sort of male-dominated industry, you had to be like a misogynist you had to be a misogynist <laughs> yes. you had to hate other women you mm-hmm. had to kick them while they're down you had to be usually like hypersexual or really mouthy like everybody was sort of like a walking amy schumer bit like everybody kind of had to be <laughs> like that and i look back on it and it's like if i could eternal sunshine like the first seven years of my career i would but that's not totally totally get it i really really do and that's something that sometimes i i I watch this movie because i've watched this movie multiple times i've read this book multiple times again very obsessed with this with this story (laughs) and with catlin moran um joanna and aka dolly wilde is almost like the teenage girl that i wish that i was you know, I wish I could go back in time because when I was her age, you know, I love that she has this wall of she calls it the wall of gods. And it's like David Bowie, Sylvia Plath, Cleopatra, Elizabeth Taylor, like all these people. And I wish that I had that many women on my wall of gods when I was that age. Uh-huh. I when I was that age, it was just like Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. Like <laughs> I did. I mean, it made me like Doro Pesh from Warlock, but most of it was just like guys from 80s metal bands like guys from thrash bands like i wished that i knew like wasn't so much of a shithead that i i I had female role models when i was that age like i wish that i had a bunch of cool ladies and i mean obviously now that now i do now that i'm an adult but i i wish that i was like her yeah i get it i i was the same though in my circumstances it makes Maybe uh, it, it maybe says a thing or two about me and um, my particular expressions of 
of flamboyance that my god wall was like David Lee Roth and Justin yeah. Hawkins from The Darkness. <laughs> oh my god, yes, I totally understand. <laughs> like th- honestly, the the thing that that really strikes me about it is that be- it's because of that that I never connected to teen girl movies. Even when I was a teen girl, I never connected to stuff like that. Mostly because I truly could not relate because most teen girl movies are stories about teen girls who want to be normal, want to be popular. And obviously there are many exceptions to this rule, many notable exceptions, but the bulk of them both in book form and movie form are like, uh, oh my God, I wish that the popular girls like me. I wish that my crush like me. I wish that I was cool. I wish that I was on the cheerleading squad. I mean, that's part of the reason why I never watched Buffy when I was of the age to watch Buffy is that it was so unthinkable to me that a teenage girl would want to forsake the world of demons and spell books for cheerleading. Like, I'm not disparaging <laughs> cheerleading, but I just knew that that wasn't me. And, you know, I just could not relate. And the fact that this story is about a girl who says fuck you to all of that and goes into like this wild world of... <laughs> rock and roll critique is that that struck me i wish i had this story when i was a teenager because that made like a teenage girl wanting to be outside of normal and wanting to be exceptional that seems that strikes me that feels relatable to me i'm right there with you and i think for me there was some wish fulfillment with a lot of the teen movies because i was hyper aware that i was not like a lot of my friends and Mm. i You know, you always have that weird assimilation sort of sensation of, I kind of wish that I was, but at the same time, I'm very happy that I'm not. Yeah, it's very strange, but it's fascinating. Like, this is a movie that I would have been obsessed with as a teenager, Mm -hmm. um, and now I just get to be obsessed with it as an adult, which I think is is perfect. (laughs) Um, But like you said, this came out in 2020, you know, kind of under the radar. So providing context for this movie is, you know, usually we'll talk about like the 70s or the 80s. I mean, this is a couple years ago. Um, but I want to ask you, Mallory, since you were such a Catelyn Moran super fan, what is it about her work that resonates with you so deeply? She's just so conversational. And she's one of those writers, like I balked at a lot of feminist writing when I was a teenager, because it felt so like holier than thou, like, you know, there was just, it felt like there was two camps. There was like, quote unquote, normal, cool girls who was, who, you know, had their little pinch of misogyny in their coffee every morning so they could, you know, function in society. And then like the other side, you know, my mother, who uh, I don't have a relationship with, but my mother was one of those feminists that was like, it it was like that, those feminists that grew up in the seventies and were like taught that feminism was no makeup, no cool clothes, you know, like, you know, my mom used to, give me tons of shit about wearing like a a long metal t-shirt that I turned into a dress and tons of eyeliner and big boots. So like, that's what feminism was to me. I I very, uh, very much relate to Dolly Parton in that way where Uh like I grew up and like, Oh, well I, I felt caught between these two worlds, you know, that I didn't, I knew I didn't fit in with normal people, but I also didn't want to be wearing, you know, Birkenstocks, even though mm-hmm. I would totally buy Birkenstocks today. Um, so <laughs> it was the principle of the matter at the it was time. the principle of the matter. I do support comfortable footwear. Uh, so 
reading Catelyn Moran when I was in my early 20s, it just felt like she she's so fucking funny and she's so relatable. And it felt like instead of someone talking to me from on high, like Catelyn Moran sat down next to me and was like, hey, what's up? And like just telling me about her life and, you know, in such a way that was just like she has this great uh essay about how the reason why she stopped wearing heels because she like went through a whole night where instead of wearing uncomfortable heels she wore sneakers and she was like oh well I got to instead of having to take a cab because my feet hurt I got to take the train and save money and then I got to stay out later because my feet didn't hurt and I spent the money that I would have spent on a cab on french fries that night and I was just like it was that kind of like funny relatable thinking about the things that women go through that really like helped open my eyes to all the bullshit that I was putting up with. And I just loved her for that. And she's really continued with that. And um, like she just came out with a book a few years ago um, called More Than a Woman about aging. And like it just felt like her writing has grown with me. And I just love her. Like she's just incredible. She really is. Something that I really like about her, and I had to do a little bit of um, digging because, as we know, uh, the the culture surrounding feminism in the UK and Catelyn Moran's from the UK, yeah, just a lot, a lot of turfy <laughs> energy. And I had this like minor panic where I'm like, I need to do some digging and make sure that Catelyn Moran has not said some out of pocket shit as we talk about how much we love this movie and this book. And it's like, no, okay, good. She's good. She's she's good. The only thing really she's ever had is she used the T slur once, not realizing that it was a slur. And then people were like, hey, you can't say that word. That's not yours to use. And she's like, oh, my bad. And like immediately course corrected. And it's like, all right, cool. You're great. You're you're all good in my book. But it is hard to find uh, a writer of, of that fame and power who is willing to course correct is really the mm-hmm. thing. Is most people are like, nope, everything that I say is right. And it's uh, I really respect people who are like, no, I fucked up and I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Like it's uh, it's rare nowadays. Something else that I really like is a couple years ago, she did an and like a personal article, I think for the guardian um, about her book, how to be a woman that she wrote back in 2011, where she was mm-hmm. basically revisiting it and being like, here's what I got wrong in that book from, you know, a decade ago. Here's what's changed. Here's how my thoughts have evolved. And I think that more writers should be doing things like that. Like a lot of people agree. write these seminal works that are really impactful at the time period. But then as things evolve, like, yeah, some of the stuff that was acceptable or that was of the time in 2010 is not going to be the same as in 2020. And that's really inspiring to me. And I like, I genuinely wish more people would do it. And that's why I think it's so great that she's also the screenwriter of how to build a girl, the Mm -hmm. movie, because it's, it's her like she's having the creative control of her book of her narrative because this is like semi autobiographical for her and that stuff is important when we talk about coming of age stories and representation because this is being written by her this isn't you know teen girl dumb by way of John Hughes getting notes from Molly Ringwald yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I think she did a really great job adapting this um obviously I I, I love the book I think the book has a uh, you know, still holds up and is fantastic, even though I think it came out uh, early 2000s or somewhere around 2010, maybe. Um, I I just think that 
she did a great job of making it steam because the book takes place i think the movie's supposed to take place in like the 90s it's oh, yeah. not it's not really clear there's never a moment where it's like hey this is a period piece which the the words 90s and period piece together in a sentence make me want to hang myself but like, <laughs> it's not like very overt because it feels like such a modern story but she's done mm-hmm. a really good job of ma- like teens still feel like this you know and I, I think she just like there's a few things that I wish that she put into the story because um, it really resonated with me when I was that age there's a lot of fat phobia that Johanna deals with in the book um, there's that, like actually this scene that I think about probably once a week where uh, there's a there's a whole subplot of she stays in the village longer in the book and there's a boy that she has a crush on and whenever she sees him she like sucks in as hard as she possibly can and she wears a bathing suit under like as like a 90s version of a bodysuit uh-huh. um to try to like make her steam slimmer and she's talking to him and she's like thinks that this is the moment where he's gonna like tell her that she thinks he he thinks she's hot and she's so excited and he mentions something about her being fat and him not appreciating that and she has this moment where she realizes oh my god even though i suck in people can still see the shape of my body like me sucking in isn't hiding anything and i had that exact moment when i was a teen and it fucked me up reading about it and so i i I almost wish she put a little bit more of that in the movie because it meant so much to me but there's so much happen there's so much like thematically happening in this movie i understand why she had to, to take that out for for time but uh i think about it a lot it still means a lot to me <laughs> Oh, I definitely used to wear bathing suits, like a mm-hmm. one piece as a bodysuit. And I would do the thing where I would pull the top of it like underneath my bust. So then that way, like my boobs were not being pinned down so that yep. I could really try to mess with the illusion of my silhouette. Oh, God, I feel that in my bones. And now they <laughs> sell those. Uh, yeah, they sure do. <laughs> I own them. <laughs> You're like, motherfucker, we invented those in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are a couple of moments in the movie that I think are really great. Like when she can't zip up the jacket, even though like she, everyone who grew up who was like big bigger than average had that moment where they had this one piece of clothing where they kind of fit into it and they felt really good in it but it didn't really quite fit and her being uh-huh. like what did she say i'm gonna stack my boobs like tupperware trying <laughs> yeah. to get uh-huh. them into this jacket like i'm glad they put a little bit of it in the movie i think so too and i think like beanie is such a perfect person perfect to casting. play her which is so funny because like She's not British. <laughs> um, yes. And but, but she I, I could tell that she was trained by Catelyn Moran because Catelyn Moran talks in that same cadence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh wow, these two spent a lot of time together <laughs> perfecting this. And I think she did a great job. I was very I loved her. I was very excited about all the casting. The only person I was a little uh not concerned about, but curious, I guess is the better word, is Alfie Allen. Because that mm-hmm. is not the guy in the that she is lusting after in the book john kite in the book is um shorter and thicker um and i was like like she describes him just like he's just like a hairy thick little guy which is like very much my my type and uh i was like oh now they're gonna go with this much more like uh traditionally attractive tall slim guy but i think he still was real cute i think they did a good job Oh, he's extremely cute like he's a cute looking guy he's a lot more cute in his like actions and demeanor for me 
Yes. Oh my God. That really mm-hmm. was like seeing a picture of him as, as like, you know, as the character, I was like, nah, and he's, he's got the coat. He's got the furry coat. Okay, fine. Uh, but seeing them talk to each other, like that first scene where he's like, all right, we're done with this interview. We're going out. Like, I was like, okay, I'm in for this. And that's actually something I really want to bring up because this is some one of the other reasons I wish I had this book when I was a teen is how much they almost romanticize the fact that he doesn't want to sleep with her. Like Mm -hmm. the scene where they're talking in a hotel room, in his hotel room, she's in bed eating nuts and he's in the bathtub. And it's so very clearly like they are not going to fuck. He is not going to cross any boundaries. They're just hanging out. Like, obviously, it's still a little weird that he's hanging out with this this 16 year old. But it's to me, it's such a huge leap forward from like the romanticization we still see of older men and teen girls Mm -hmm. that that's just really struck me when I read this and when I watched it. And like one of my favorite parts of the story is that he's, he never, there's never even a moment. The only time they kiss is in her fantasy, in her brain. He never Mm -hmm. does anything inappropriate. He never crosses a boundary. And even at the end when he's like, obviously we're going to fall in love with each other, but you are way too young. In the, in the fact that they look at that as in such a romantic, wonderful way. God, I just fucking love it. Oh, for sure. Um, so immediately when this movie starts, uh, BJ's describing like the basic setup and I go, oh, so it's kind of like almost famous. And like, that's sort of true, but not totally. It's it's not a very good I comparison. T- I get where you're going with that. It's the most obvious comparison, I guess. But in that movie, all of the like the rock stars, because those guys want to be rock stars. John Kai doesn't want to be a rock star. He just wants to be like a sensitive British musician. Um, <laughs> all of the rock stars and almost famous, like they're man children. Like, mm-hmm. they are immature, they have, like, this stupid, um, the, the arrogance of youth, despite the fact that they're all probably, like, 27. Like, that's just a thing that comes <laughs> with being young. And, like, this movie captures specific other parts of being young that I love. Like, the idea of them having a sort of sleepover where you can, like, platonically have, like, boys and girls sleeping together, but they're not sleeping together because it's not sexual and it's totally fine. It's, there. there's something, like very pure and youthful about that. The fact that her outfits are so extravagant in a way that you can kind of only get away with when you're mm-hmm. really young. <laughs> like, yes. Like you can still do that stuff in your twenties, but I think like, like I, I remember I, I had strong feelings where we're watching this and I go, BJ, I absolutely wore outfits very similar to this. Where it's oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, go and get an oversized blazer at the thrift store. Every and, like, goth girl dressed like that when they were sixteen years old. We all oh, went yeah. through. This. I had the short shorts and the in the fishnets and the blazer. I didn't have a top hat because I couldn't pull it off because I have glasses. Oh, I could, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. I have a top hat. I've got a bowler. I got a Stetson. I I like big dumb hats. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it. But it's like I a hundred percent know what you mean. And that's something I really love about the movie. There's so much uh, like I, I feel like a lot of teen girl media when it's done poorly, the, the end all be all of the story is either the crush or get becoming cool and even though her relationship with John is such an important part of the story, the story is about her relationship with herself. And it's also about her, like one of my favorite lines in the movie and in the book is, you know, her talking about going to that show for the first time and, you know, her saying by midnight, it was the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. That feeling of falling in love with heavy music and, or falling in love with a scene and how it becomes your entire fucking personality when you're 16 years old is such a, like a, life-changing seminal moment in like a weirdo person's life and i'm Mm -hmm. so happy that they captured it oh for sure like 
when you're 15, 16 years old, I think that that's sort of the time where you start to discover, you start to discover yourself in like a more, a more meaningful, open way. Because I think when you're younger, you're influenced by like your parents or your surrounding or your classmates. But like you start to become like a little adult, but like yes. a, a, a childlike version of an adult because you're still a child. And that's when you start to really develop like who you are as as a person. And so you see something that speaks to you. You see something that feels very profound and like world changing and it becomes the whole of your personality Mm -hmm. because you've had nothing else to build it with yet. Yes. Oh my God. Like there's so many moments where like the the look on her face when she gets into a crowd at a show for the first time, the look on her face when she sees John singing for the first time, it just really captures all those huge feelings that you have mm-hmm. when you're that age and you're having those experiences. I mean, I remember going to my first shows, going to see him, going to see Guar, you know, 14 year old <laughs> me, like on the edge of the pit at a Guar show, just like looking at them with like hearts in my eyes like a little fucking weirdo just like the feet that feeling of being connected to something bigger than yourself and like you said all finding those building blocks to put together the way that you look and the way that you act and the things that you like and who you want to be like it's just so huge and I love that that's really the main thrust of this story it's not like this story in the hands of a lesser writer could have just been about her trying to get back together or trying to get with John. And mm-hmm. it's not like right from the beginning, the, the the movie starts. I don't think my adventure starts with a boy and like, God, I wish someone had given that to me when I was 16. Cause you're so <laughs> taught that like, that's the important thing. Like that's what your life is. And the fact that this is just like a side thing for her and it's really about her figuring herself out is just, oh, it's so good. I just want to like get in a helicopter and like pass out copies of this movie to like every high school in the country. Yeah. And like, even like in lesser hands, how like John would have been written because- Oh, he would have been so slimy. Oh, he would be so gross because like he's a touring musician who has like his face on like- bus stops and stuff like that and like those kinds of musicians like you assume they have like carte blanche to do whatever they want Mm -hmm. it's like oh he's gonna be a dirtbag right like that's just the expectation of what he's gonna do with young girls and it's not and like we, we learn his backstory very quickly but like the world doesn't until you know mistakes later on yeah but i think that it explains a lot about who he is and what he wants to do, where he just wants to go out and experience things and he wants to just enjoy the company of people because he unfortunately had to grow up way sooner than he was prepared to. So, like, there is something, like, I don't know if recapture is the, the exact term for, like, what he's trying to do, but, like, he's trying to maintain a certain part of him that he didn't get to experience to its fullest the way that, like, Johanna is getting to, like, this thrill and this love because he is... He had a he had a rough go of it, you know. Oh yeah, and so many of these love interests in like crappy teen movies are basically just like a penis with glasses on, oh like or a man penis <laughs> with glasses on. Like it's just like they don't have any personality outside of being a hot guy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh-huh. And it's so it's so it, I love that. It's some that's something that it did not occur to me until you just said that. That part of the reason why he loves her so much is that she is in that place where he. like diverged you know Mm -hmm. and like that scene where he like he doesn't offer her any booze he pours himself a drink doesn't even think to offer her he doesn't make fun of her for her never heard hearing of the rolling stones and her being like i'm six in line at the library like that is such that it's so lovely he doesn't give her any shit he's just excited to show her things Mm -hmm. where i think so many guys in these movies are like 
Uh, oh, you don't, you've never heard of this. You don't like this. And that's so many of our, of at least my experiences in real life. And you're trying so, especially when you get into a music scene, you are trying so hard to be as cool as you can oh, and know course. everything. Like, especially coming from the metal scene, like I had to try to learn every single 80s band I possibly could because I wouldn't be a real metal head without it. And the mm-hmm. fact that she's just like, she is so like she doesn't even pretend to like i if when i was that age i would have pretended to know what the rolling stones were but the fact that she's just like i haven't gotten it from the library yet like i love her so much well she hasn't had any of like these really negative experiences where like um, the immediate reaction of some guy is like oh what how do you how have you not heard of the stones how have you not whatever um and like a thing that i think is really fascinating is that on her god wall is david bowie but like she listens to like annie and I, yes. I wonder if she appreciates Bowie as like an artiste more than a musician. Oh, for sure. She definitely is appreciating the theatrical aspects of him more mm-hmm. than the music. And it's interesting because her dad mentions Bowie multiple times. So maybe she's kind of like not into the music, but into the theatrical parts because she clearly loves musical theater. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie mentions Bowie all over the all over the place. Like his his background is just plastered all over certain scenes. Like there's yes. a giant one in uh, one of the other editors that she unfortunately like sleeps with or whatever and it's just like this like seven foot mural of bowie from the scary monsters era just over his bed well that's <laughs> Callan moran Callan moran's obsessed with david bowie and gotcha it like it shows means a lot to her and yeah i i love that she wove that into johanna and just yeah. to the story in general like there's a she she wrote this like beautiful thing when david bowie died about how lucky like when david bowie was growing up he had to just be a little horny little weirdo on his own but now we all grew up with david bowie Uh and we never had to be alone like it's so beautiful and actually speaking of being a horny little weirdo that's something i also (laughs) love about her is how sex positive and horny positive this movie is because this movie doesn't get super it does like get a little bit sexual in places but i just love how joanna from go like the opening scene is just her like being horny at imaginary men like Mm -hmm. i love how how tied that tied in that is because it's such a i I don't watch as many teen girl movies as the two of you do you two are the experts but like i love a story (laughs) that just shows how like teen girls having sexuality instead of sexuality being done to them Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, <laughs> no it makes total sense. And yeah, the thing that I appreciate so much too is that whenever she does have these moments where she's telling her brother about her sexual exploits um, and we see them, obviously, like it's not pornographic, but like it's it's sexual. Um, she is in control of every single situation, regardless mm-hmm. of positioning, which I think is really fantastic because in a lot of movies, regardless of genre, I think whenever we have like teen sex shown, it is either like, everyone's hidden under blankets missionary and it's like this very weird awkward we're discovering ourselves together moment or she's on top but she clearly doesn't want to be on top but she's on top because that's the good camera angle that's all the teen boys are gonna like because then her boobies is gonna bounce (laughs) but like when you watch these scenes this is like beanie felstein is like no shut the fuck up i'm gonna do what i want and you're like Mm -hmm. damn okay and the fact that she gets to do that as a like bigger person is incredible (laughs) yes she's she's not accepting scraps from people who are like deigning to to deem her worthy she is going out and sleeping with who she wants to and and she knows that she looks great and she knows that she's in control and she like it's so 
it's just handled so fucking well. And like, again, I wish that someone had given me this as a teen because I was not like that. I was not out there, you know, getting conquests and like feeling feeling hot. You know, it's just such a and I'm sure that's part of uh, the wish fulfillment of this. Like this movie is a little bit, you know, I, I what I wish I could be as a teen as much as what me wanting to have this book. I wish that I was a little bit more like Dolly Wilde um, and just that she constructs this this idea of herself and you can see how much it, how much power it gives to her you know I think there's something really powerful about the idea of a persona especially at this age which oh, I yeah. think we're now getting into an era where it's way more common because we have 14 15 year olds that are you know making full-time living on TikTok being a persona of themselves on the internet mm-hmm. their brand their brand <laughs> so to speak but like I mean I even think about it when I was on MySpace and I was going by like Britney bombshell trademark symbol like dumbass shit like that but it really did change how I interacted with people. Yep. It changed how I saw myself. And similarly to, to Dolly Wilde, like before I started writing under my name, I just wrote under my initials to the point where there are still people who will randomly like reply to my tweets and be like, ha BJC, you're so funny. And I'm like, oh God, that's like a whole other lifetime ago. But th- people remember these things. Yep. And it, I was like, it's a, it's a more, it's almost like a drag persona, if that makes sense, where like, there's definitely parts of her in Dolly Wilde, just as there were parts of me and like my early online, you know, writing persona, but it was always exaggerated, or it was the version that like, we're too afraid to be in our real life. And there's, mm-hmm. there's something safe about putting that distance between who you actually are, the vulnerable part of you, and then the persona you put out into the world and I I don't know I I have like these weird existential thoughts about like social media all the time because it feels like a lot of people have gone so far into the persona and into the brand that they have forgotten who the actual person is and I think maybe that's part of why we all have depression who knows (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that we live in hell Um, (laughs) increasingly (laughs) hellish but I do love the idea of like so her going from like a literary world where she idolizes writers, especially like pre-internet, there's a lot more like animidity to a to a writer because mm-hmm. like in you might have like an author photo, but otherwise you don't even know what that person looks like. So going from that to a like rock world where image matters immensely, like that that's that's the first thing you notice most of the time, unless you're like listening to the radio, you see a person live and go, what do you look like? What's your presence? What's what's your persona? What am I getting from you? And like rock stars come up with the silliest goddamn names all the time. Like <laughs> there, there's people named like Ricky Rocket, and it's like that's yeah. not your birth name. You you <laughs> that's chose not that your co- Christian name, sir. No, of course not. But you just think it's cool. Like so, I I don't know. Like there is something about going from that to now. I can create this larger than life persona of me and getting like really high on the idea of creating this un unbreakable character of Dolly Wilde where no one can fuck with you like that that's cool that's that's powerful that's empowering and then it eventually that odometer rolls over and things get 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 very different but like I don't know it's it it makes total sense for her to go full in on it because it is so much like louder and more showy than anything she's ever been used to 
Well, and that's something that I really love about her and the way that Catelyn Moran writes her. And it reminds me of a uh, a very controversial essay that Catelyn Moran wrote a number of years ago. I don't know if you two both remember, but it was Catelyn Moran basically encouraging people to be groupies if they want to. Like in how she thinks that if you're a, a person who wants to fuck people in bands, you should because you're having a blast and why the fuck not? And a lot of people were like clutching their pearls about it. And I think about that essay a lot when I watch this movie. And I love that like in all the wild things that, that Dolly does in this movie, like fucking a bunch of people is not one of the things that she regrets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's her, she regrets Harmony, what you just said, it's like becoming too far up her own ass, of, of up the ass of Dolly Wilde and being mean. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that makes her feel really bad about herself. It's not that she went and fucked a bunch of people, a bunch of musicians, because that's cool and fun. <laughs> it's that she doesn't like being an asshole. And that's some, one of the other things I love about this this movie so much is it really showcases how powerful the love of teenage girls is. Oh, and my like God. The, yeah. And like the passion like this world like our culture is built on the back of what teenage girls like and that the fact that this movie showcases how how powerful that is and the fact that like it's a teenage girl writing this column that is so influential and gets so much press and people are noticing it so much like it really i I, you know so so many movies and so many teen girl stories are about suppressing how powerful teenage girl girls are and this is just giving them rocket fuel and letting them do what they want and i love it I do too. And I also love the fact that the whole reason that the Dolly Wilde persona even comes comes to life is because her initial writing about John Kite, they're like, this sounds like a starry-eyed teenage girl wrote this. We can't have it. Like they are so clearly afraid of that power that they they're like, no, 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 we need to distill this. We need to filter this into something that's going to be more extreme, more aggressive, more angry, because that can be something we can have in our pages. We can't have this like starry eyed fluff. We can't have that. Um, And it's it's just fascinating. It's like you you created the, you created the monster because you mm-hmm. were afraid of the sincerity um, and by like the the formal you of of this magazine. Um, but you're totally right, and we we talk about it a lot on this show. And Harmony and I also guested on an episode of American Hysteria talking about boy bands and the way that women have sort of from from you know we're we're talking about a british movie from beatlemania to to k-pop and how teenage girls if they like something will change like literally change the capitalistic market um and there are so many people that are fucking terrified of that reality because they know it to be true i'm trying not to be like a k-pop truther but my sister's really big <laughs> into k my sister's really big into k-pop so she like fills me in on all this stuff and she's been explaining to me the way that billboard has been changing the rules on what counts towards a stream or a play and it very much does sound like they're changing it specifically to keep k-pop artists off the chart and like i know that's a little tinfoil hat sounding of me it's not though but i'm pretty sure that's what's fucking happening is they're like the american music industry is terrified not only of this is a pop group, but this is also a Korean pop group, which means that American music is losing its relevancy more and more every day, and they're terrified of it. And it's kind of hard not to think that that's what's happening when we've seen how they legitimately do try to like defang the power of teen girls throughout history. 
Mm-hmm. That's one one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when she comes out to the like all these shitheads in the in the hot tub who are making fun of her, and she's wearing mm-hmm. her like crappy little plastic bathing suit that she has made, and she's like, "That's what she gives them shit for," and that's what she like the, when she tears them a new one. It's so beautiful, and her just being like, "You're a bu- just a bunch of boys breaking stuff and tearing things down." Mm-hmm. Like I can't think of a better encapsulation of social media right now <laughs> than that <laughs> you know we're so afraid of being earnest and uh, I, you know, I think a part of that too is you know of being you know we're all more online than ever before we're all we all have to be who we are and everyone sees our faces and everything people are so afraid of liking the things that they like and being earnest and that and when she that's when things turn in this movie is when she gets away from the things that she really actually likes and doing the things that she likes and loving the things that she loves and the and earnestness and i love that this movie shows how terrible that is and how bad it is not just for the music industry at large but how bad it is for you as a person when you create this idea of yourself as someone who hates things and tear things down like she immediately becomes less of herself and less happy and everything falls fucking falls apart and she's really mean to her family which is another like thing i want to touch on because god i love an economic story like Mm -hmm. i grew up poor and like i have a lot of feelings about like what she did was super shitty, but also it's very hard to be a teen who is providing for your family. And like, no, I, it, it bums me out that no, there's never a moment in the movie where her family acknowledges that they're never like, Hey, we probably shouldn't have had you being, you know, paying for things for the family. You are 16 years old. You cannot shoulder that responsibility. That's like my one critique is that I wish that there was a moment like that where her parents were like, Hey, we're sorry that we didn't feed you well enough. But I love, uh, I love a story about a poor kid is really the thing. Um, and I Same. love that, that it's such a big <laughs> element of this and that because that's what sparks it is that she her family's fucking poor and she feels the need to do this to provide for them. Like, that's a huge thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, her breaking open her brother's piggy bank and go, like the scene of her going to the pharmacy and like buying discount lipstick and like all like the cheap every we all remember that cheap crappy what is it splat hair splat, uh-huh. hair dye it's basically fabric <laughs> dye oh and it like ruins your like i had my hair cherry red at that age with dye from CVS that cost like $5 like I know exactly what that feels like mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the fact that that's such a big part of this movie is like really hits my heart same also a weird alt kid who grew up very poor and especially to that she's the oldest daughter there is such a burden that is placed on the shoulders of oldest daughters because you get adultified really early and especially because she's also larger that means you then get sexualized very early Mm -hmm. because your body stops looking like a quote-unquote child's earlier than most people so then you tend to then also become parentified and you are starting to take on roles and responsibilities that you're not ready for and you shouldn't have to shoulder and I like that the movie also they also show that it's that the family is also victim of circumstance just as much as, you know, just bad luck where it's like, yeah, mom got pregnant again and it's twins and yeah, we were not so anticipating that because yeah, like it's a, a surprise pregnancy can change everything. But two, 
oh my yeah. god <laughs> um mm-hmm. so we've we've got her mom that's just completely doing her not, best she's doing her best but she's just like not there because she mm-hmm. can't be because she's so sleep deprived and you know she can't be the emotional support that her daughter needs in this moment and i like that they acknowledge that and i patty considine just Ugh. i love him so much he's so talented and there's something about seeing him play this type of character, which uh, we're going to be talking about Submarine next week. And he plays like a more exaggerated version of this oh character God. in that as well. Oh Similar God. bad oh, mullet. Mullets. Oh, the mullet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but he does such a good job at capturing this like working class guy with rock star dreams. Yeah. And uh, he's just he's so good in this role. Like, I think everybody in this movie is really well cast and I was thinking about the Alfie Allen casting and part of me thinks that maybe it's because he's coming right off of his Game of Thrones run where he's playing Theon Greyjoy slash Reek so he's playing a character that we're supposed to feel really really bad for and who has been really put through the ringer so I think maybe people's like perspective of him was not like hot rock star guy so maybe that's the way they were trying to subvert him i I didn't even think about that but that's a great point because i remember seeing him like seeing him in this and being like oh wow like (laughs) they cleaned you up real nice post game of thrones (laughs) he also looks very youthful which helps like this character Mm -hmm. i think is supposed to be in his like early early 20s so he he plays that pretty well yeah he i i i i would have preferred to see the book uh version just because we talked about this on our, our sleepover episode um, where we have a fat character who does have somebody who is a bigger guy that she's interested in because usually when we have any sort of like fat girl in a teen movie, she's it's a thin guy. It's a thin guy. It's the hairspray of it all. Um, so having somebody <laughs> that's not like that is that's still sadly revolutionary to see on screen. Um, oh, and yeah. it would have been nice, but I get Alfie Allen and I think He's very charming in this and very sweet, and I see why she would be into him. Oh, for sure. I think I that that's really what did it is. It it's his personality. It's him being you know delighted by her and dazzled by her, and the way the way that they look at each other. Like as soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, I fucking get it. I still wish I had my <laughs> my my little thick guy, but like I really, I definitely appreciate this. Um, there was one more thing i wanted to say about oh that what i was gonna say the thought that i had was can i need a spinoff movie with her brother i love Uh chrissy so much oh my god oh my god so i love also the the trope of having siblings that are not of the same gender identity having to share space together um, because that is such a reality for so many households and it doesn't ever get talked about. There was like that Canadian show Life with Derek that kind of did that, but not really. Um, But I I love that the barrier in their room is made out of different doors. I think it is such a beautiful, like little kitschy sort of thing. And Oh god, I lo- I love their relationship. I think they're so funny. <laughs> I love their relationship so much. I it is amazing to me because it's almost like he he's almost like a magical character because he's so self-actualized and he's younger than she is and like he already has so so much more of a developed sense of self than than Johanna does. Um and it, that's almost like almost a little unrealistic, but he plays it so well and he's so cool that 
you just can't help but love him. And I want to see his story of like falling in love, getting out of Wolverhampton, uh, creating a magazine, like whatever he wants to do. Like, and Catelyn Moran has not written that book, but I would eat it the fuck up if she did. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And I, I think part of why Chrissy is so actualized is because they do clearly come from a very supportive household. They're definitely, you know, rough around the edges, but there is a sense, in my opinion, that everybody is free to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And it, cause to me, it feels like a lot of Joanna's issues that she has have nothing to do with like the familial way of, you know, oh, we don't understand you, but the way that the world does not understand her. Like her issues mm-hmm. are very external more than anything. Um, and that, of course, causes internal conflict and learning how to deal with that. Whereas Chrissy is just kind of like living his best life. <laughs> and, he really like, is. And like doing what he wants. And there's an effortless like confidence that comes with being able to have the space to just explore that and know that you can do so safely and like with affirming parents um like he's a little bit more prepared for the world uh in that regard whereas like joanna also has to deal with the fact that she's a bigger girl the fact that she's a girl period and the way that the world treats us differently because of that um i I just i think it's fascinating it's such a nice it's not even like a yin and yang sort of thing they're not opposite sides of the same coin by any stretch of imagination but it's interesting to see how two siblings grow up and have completely different ideas of who they are as people um coming from the same household like i just i love sibling stories because my sister and i are nothing alike um (laughs) and so it's always fascinating when i get to see another set of siblings where they're very very different um but at the same time can like speak a similar language that no one else really in their family can speak i i just love it well, I again, I sound like a broken record here, but I would highly recommend reading the sequel, How to Be Famous, because you do, it's not about Chrissy, but you do get a lot more of her brother in it. It's like all the uh, events that her and John are talking about at the end of this movie, that's when that happens. She is about to turn, she's 18 years old. She's living in London. She's still writing for, for this magazine. She's like figuring her out herself in the, the conflict in that movie. And uh, this is not a spoiler, is that she's still like going out and like she took John's, uh, advice to heart she's like all right i'm gonna have a bunch of adventures i'm gonna fuck a bunch of people this is gonna be great and again like it's it's handled the same way and like in a very um non-judgmental way she's just having fun but one of the guys that she sleeps with is a slime bag and films it and makes a sex tape out of it and she has to figure out how to deal with and she like it is the ending is just as good as the ending in this one um but like Sometimes Chrissy's staying with her in London and he's like supporting her just just as much as he does in this movie. And it's just like, oh, it is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Highly, highly recommend if you are listening to this and you're like, and you've seen this movie, like, please read the sequel because it's fucking incredible. But I, Chrissy does need his own book. I really think he just, I want to see his adventures. In thinking about this, like as a book series, also as a, as a movie series, I have had like a couple things like pop in my head where I'm like, oh, this feels like this. So one, I feel like How to Build a Girl perfectly captures my favorite line in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is when Knives Chow says, I only found out about good music like two years ago because <laughs> that is such it was like, like two weeks ago or something. It was, it was way more recently it was something like than that, like two, two years. weeks ago. Um, it's so funny. Um, and I feel like this movie really, really captures that. But um, 
this whole book series and Joanna as a character, it makes me think of the Gingerbread series that Rachel Kahn did, who is one of the co-writers of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. But she has... Like when you were describing the like the book cover, I was like, oh, that's gingerbread because gingerbread was the same way where the cover art is like girl in like black dress with stripy socks and like giant like platform creepers holding this like fucked up looking rag doll. And then the book series goes on. And it's like this one's shrimp. This one's about like the boyfriend and this one's about the brothers and this is about whoever. But it's all the same story and it's this evolution. So you get to kind of grow with these characters. And I love that this that How to Build a Girl has a sequel, if only because now we can also grow with her. Because watching this movie, like, really put me back at, like, my early teen years and what I felt and how I was trying so hard to, like, make a name for myself and that sometimes meant sacrificing my identity, my autonomy, my a lot of things because I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. And to know that there's also an after that like oh no no it it does change you do grow older this part of you does not have to live with you forever is such a relief because the biggest problem that we have with coming of age and teen stories is that they're meant to capture that very specific moment at that time and then we kind of go off with it but sometimes we have characters where it's like no 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 I want to know what's next I want to know yeah. how you I grow personally up. need help figuring out what's next Right. Uh (laughs) Like I am in my 30s and still struggling to make sense of the person I was when I was 17. I would love to let's bridge this gap here a little bit. Um, And it's nice because teen stories don't often get to continue there. We graduate from high school and then we wash our hands of these characters forever. And because this is also semi-autobiographical, there's a lot of ways where you can kind of look at Catelyn Moran as the person now and you can see in these books like how she became the person she is how she got to where she is now and an author that I like I have not admittedly have not done research on this author in quite some time so if she's now like problematic my bad Um, but Anita Liberty wrote these poetry books that I was obsessed with in high school called How to Heal the Hurt by Hating and how to stay oh, bitter wow. during the happiest times of your life. stapled that to my forehead when I was a teen. <laughs> I, I found it because I was on speech team and a girl that was competing in speech team used How to Heal the Hurt by Hating as like her piece. And it's the entire book is a book of poetry she wrote after her fiance uh, left her because he was cheating on her. So it is just the meanest like fuck this guy terrible person like my favorite line in it is if i could tattoo you i would put abandon all hope ye who enter here on your chest above where your heart should be like it is oh my god it's incredible um but so she put out these two like very very bitter wonderful books of like poetry and like short prose it's fantastic and after those exploded she then released a book called center of the universe yep that's me and it's based on her memoirs from when she was a teenager so you get like the inverse of like here's when she was like you know super bitter and it made her a career and now she's like married and happy and she's like well how do i keep doing my shtick i'm not actually mad anymore Uh and then you get the memoirs of a teenager and it's like oh this is how you ended up like this. I get it now. And I think we can kind of see that with How to Build a Girl and then with like Catelyn Moran of like, it's just that brutal acceptance and honesty of like who you are as a person, like warts and all and not being afraid of that. And that shouldn't sound as 
like a wild idea as it is, but I think so many of us are just so fucking afraid to own up that like, yes, I did fall in love with this music scene. And I also really like the soundtrack to Annie. Like you can be both. (laughs) You can have depth. You can have multitudes, but you know, we're in this, this era of branding and persona and we feel like we can't do that. Like I struggle with that. I mean, like I write predominantly about like film and horror, but I host a teen girl movie podcast and that multitudes, multitudes, but like that's, <laughs> that's very conflicting for a lot of people and it shouldn't be. And I don't know. I don't want to be like, this movie makes me feel seen, but like it does. It does. No, I, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's really great that I am doing this episode with the two of you at this exact time, because the past year, like when I, when I was a teenager, like I was again, like a little misogynist metalhead. Like I wore my war vest to school and combat boots and a bullet belt. Like I didn't wear makeup. All I wanted to do was look like Dave Mustaine. And then as I grew into my twenties, I got away from that. And I specifically remember when I got my first like real job in my twenties, I, I first, I worked at a vet clinic, very, I had a very different life before I started making movies. And, but when I got my job at this production company I used to work at, I got rid of all my band shirts and I wanted to like be serious and mature. And like, I didn't see a way that I could marry those two things of like being an adult and having, and all the things that I still love when I was a teenager. Cause it took me a long time to realize that underneath all the bullshit, like I still love all that music. I still love that person. And finally, you know, it's just within the past, like year or two that I realized I was like I still love all this music like I still am there's a part of me that is still this person and I can go back and figure out how to take the pieces that I love and leave the embarrassing awful pieces but it Mm -hmm, takes mm -hmm. to be able able to do that you have to look at that teen you know and this country has America specifically has this uh, infatuation with thinking that like high school is the best years of your life and uh, you know that's that is the like the pinnacle of your life and everything goes downhill from there and I think that's a big part of what you were talking about how we really get to see the after because like these teen stories are like the end all be all and now you know the past f- couple of years I have rebought all the band shirts that I gave away and got new ones and like <laughs> realized that I'm still that fucking person you know I still I, I'm figuring out how to weave all this stuff together and I had a very I love that the book ends with her getting a job at a woman's magazine and like oh my first god off, yes. oh my god imagine emma thompson coming in and telling you your writing is amazing emma thompson <laughs> in like that red lip i would die oh, i would melt into a puddle but one of my favorite teen girl story tropes and there's not a lot of them uh at least to my knowledge i will take more recommendations the other one that i can think of is such a different story but i love it as much it's the it's his dark materials uh the mm-hmm. golden compass series and, and where the the young girl starts as like trying to be one not like other girls and like really pushes away her love uh, of or, or not even her love if she hasn't been exposed to it yet but she pushes away like the camaraderie and media made by women like she pushes away that world and eventually comes back around being like no like joanna johanna specifically is like trying to make it at this men's music magazine it's not like specifically men's music magazine but in the way that almost that a lot of media at that time and i guess still is like the default person is like a non yeah. non-marginalized guy and like everything else is like a niche thing made for women um she's trying to make it at this men's magazine and then like she, she thinks that's like the pinnacle of cool and then she gets at the end and realizes like she's talking to emma thompson and emma thompson's talking about how they all loved her piece that is like 
you know, very much her, you know, something that like is not her being a mean little music critic asshole. It's her like writing her heart out and the fact that they all loved it and they passed it around the office and she wants to get a job at this magazine that's clearly for women. Like, I just love that so much because it's the the arc that I had, you know, going from like a little teen girl who tried to push away anything that was pink. I didn't even like listening to female fronted bands when I was a kid because I was so nervous about being associated with anything that was female because subconsciously I was picking up on the fact that anything that's coded as female is coded as lesser and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be lesser you know I wanted to be cool and Mm -hmm. now you know I went through my late teens and early 20s realizing that that's all a bunch of bullshit and now like I read a fuckload of romance novels like I most of my favorite (laughs) bands are 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 bands made of women like I just love all I'm a women's historian like that's all I care about is ladies doing shit and I love seeing that arc reflected in stories and I just love that that was like her ending is like getting this like the magical seal of approval from Emma fucking Thompson and like finding her people and finding people who appreciate her for who she really is it's just so beautiful to me yeah and like Honestly, I, I love that about this ending, and I love that for you, but uh, <laughs> I, I've kind of just been formulating this this thought throughout this entire episode where, obviously, like, Johanna's our main character, but, like, she's sort of, at least at this point in the this series, she sort of has figured out growing up in a way that nobody else in this movie has, because, like, this is a coming-of-age story primarily about, you know, her, a teen girl, but, like, Everyone else is dealing with like being an adult or growing up in this film at in completely different intervals. Like all of her coworkers at like the music magazines, they're all men child men children who are like they have the energy of pull a girl's pigtails because like yes. fuck oh you God. for saying your actual feelings. You got to be a dick about it. Like her dad is like trying to relive his glory years of being a, a young man in a band that he's for some reason calling mayonnaise, which is a terrible decision. <laughs> his her mom is like having postpartum depression and is dealing with the fact that like, cool, I thought I was done having to be this part of the adult. So now I'm being transported back like 10 plus years of my life to dealing with babies now. And I wasn't emotionally prepared for that. Like everyone is dealing with adulthood at different stages and in different ways. And I find that like really, really fascinating because there is this sort of belief in coming of age that maturity comes with just getting older. And that's not true. Like you're only young once, but you can't be immature forever. That's just kind of how, how, how it is. But like some people think they can and you, you fall into um, like comfortability. Like you just sort of drift into a place and until someone like snaps you out of it or points it out to you, you sometimes don't even realize that you're there. Like she doesn't realize that she had be- like started to live the gimmick so extremely with Dolly Wilde until someone said like, hey, you're a fucking dick. Oh my <laughs> like, God, yes. yeah, we know that like part of the gimmick is not giving a shit about what anyone says, but you're, you won asshole of the year. Like that's not a good thing, yes. especially if you are like really personifying that whole part of you that isn't a real part of you it's a fabrication so this is like a coming of age story or at least like a post coming of age story for every character in this entire movie (laughs) oh god yeah like that's one of the most like 
touching scenes in the movie is when her parents are looking in on her in the hospital bed and they're like, wow, oh. we fucked this up. Like, and them realizing that they have been complacent and just sitting and just like coasting along and not realizing that their daughter has changed. They have changed. They can't just sit around and do what they used to do. Like they ac- actually have to grow and figure out what to do. And like, it's just so, it's so great. And then her mom comes in and doesn't deliver like a big battlefield speech you know she just realizes that her daughter just needs her to just talk to her like mm-hmm. it's so it's so lovely it's and it's so simple and it's it's, oh, it's so good yeah and like the visual storytelling which like they point out at the very end of the movie is like oh i'm too old for the the uh kids ward and also the adult too young oh, for the yes. adult ward or whatever in the hospital Beautiful. but you've got like party clowns and essentially like very colorful candy stripers in this thing that has like a children's drum set and it's like yeah you see that and go cool she's been doing a lot of adult things this whole movie she's been having sex she has a job she's like so pseudo famous in her own field like she's doing all that but she's still like in school she has to go to the pediatrics ward yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh my god well when she's yelling at the them in the hot tub she's literally like i'm 16 and three fourths like which is the most 16-year-old shit to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. It's just so beautiful. It's In that moment, you're like, oh, my God, this is a child. Like, yeah. all these people should be fucking ashamed of themselves. And yeah. it really highlights how gross it is that these guys, like, oh, the scene where the, that editor wants her to sit in his lap, like, oh, it highlights God. how gross he is, but also how this great thing that Catelyn Moran does of, like, showing you how gross guys guys like that are by making fun of them and like the fact that she's like oh okay and like hops on his 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 lap and starts bouncing around and makes everyone see how ridiculous he's being beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i god i love it because it also shows like the 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 thousands of little mini interactions that we have every day that we have to navigate where someone's just being fucking weird and like (laughs) it's all like it's always like whether it's some random cashier at like CVS that's like what are you doing later and it's like what the fuck man I'm just trying to like buy tampons and go stop being weird and yeah there's a lot of like those little bits in here that I find really refreshing and again why I'm so thrilled that Ketlin Moran got to write the screenplay for this because I'm terrified of what this would have looked like outside of her hands oh Um, for sure and that's why I love her specifically and that's it's her brand of feminism that I really glommed onto when I was in my early 20s is this idea that like yeah the world is fucking depressing and everything is bad but a great way to diffuse it and to like survive yourself and to to show people how bad it is is to just make fun of it and to just Mm -hmm. laugh at it and like it is it's so it's such a great philosophy for Dolly to uh, weave into herself and it contributes to the fact that the only times you really see her having a hard time is within herself you know there's not there's very few moments in this movie where she's not the one in control and mm-hmm. it's that is like I, I want a little bit of that in my coffee every morning you know what I mean <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah definitely and I, I think just the the title alone and kind of the central heart of this is how to build a girl and I mm-hmm. love that this is a coming-of-age story that's entire message is you're not finished when you're done with high school you have just gotten your building blocks and you're going to build 
bigger. Like that, we're giving you the supplies now, but it's now your turn to build it. You're not done because so many of these stories, it's like, well, I'm 18 and now I know what I'm doing with my life. And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> jokes on you in about 10 years. Oh, um, yeah. I love that line <laughs> at the end where she's like, and Emma Thompson is like, is this you? And she's like, this is me for now. Like, mm-hmm. I wish that I had that because I there's so be, probably because of this, you know, it's this sort of feedback loop between our culture and the and the art that we make is that feeling that when when you get out of being a teenager, you have to figure out you have to know who you are. I, I struggle with that my entire adult life is to try and like we, it's so rare that we are encouraged to be in in flux, you know. Uh-huh. most of the time we all have to know exactly who we are and who we stand for and social media is such a big part of that you have to figure it you, you got to have your you have to be who you are in your bio and you have to figure out how to present yourself and like it's so we don't offer people a lot of grace to fix themselves or to change themselves or to try new things or to try try different like different ways of being different ways of dressing whatever it is it's it's very rare that that we hold space for people to just like um this is who i am for right now but i might want to be i might be different in a few years like that's something that i wish that we had more of oh for sure especially because like you know everything on the internet is there forever um like in the case of like joanna like she's growing up with like her thoughts and her feelings in in text. So if like this was a more modern equivalent, she would write these things under like the Dolly Wilde persona and someone would be like, <laughs> you like women, this you, and went to her <laughs> old work. Don't you remember what you said about Tori Amos? <laughs> yeah, like for real, like that's what would, would happen. We, we are merciless about calling people out on like sometimes even very minor infractions that they had like 10 years ago. Sometimes when they were like 19, where it's like, yeah, we all said dumb shit when we were 19. We just, our shit just wasn't cataloged yet. Oh God, I I, I think I think Satan for that every fucking day of my life. But I, and I I think that's part part of why people are so afraid to be earnest nowadays because it's so much easier to to hedge everything and to uh, you know when you're presented with a catalog of everything you've ever fucking said. Of course, people don't want to be earnest. They don't want to show who they really are. Oh it's so much easier God, to be yeah. like, oh, I'm joking about that, or mm-hmm. I was being sarcastic, or whatever. You know, when it's hard, it's so hard to be earnest. When I was talking about the new Hellraiser movie that came out and how much I liked it and how much I liked Jamie Clayton as Hellraiser, I had people, no exaggeration, they were all fucking transphobes. Let's let's call them what they were. I was gonna a say bunch, eh, we know why they were mad. They were a bu- they mm-hmm. were a bunch of transphobes that were upset that I was praising Jamie Clayton as the new pinhead. And they dug up something I had written about Hellraiser when I was 18 years old, like oh had just gone back into the closet because I did go back into the closet when I started writing about film because I saw how bad women were being treated, but women that they didn't have any possible like sexual attraction. Chance of getting fucking. From, oh yeah. yeah. It was uh-huh. like, nope, got to go back in the closet. Uh, You know, I talk about that in therapy and it's fine. Um, <laughs> but they brought up this article that I had written where I was talking about how like, you know, Hellraiser just never really hit with me because I was so clear clearly trying to be like that's the gay one no one look at me and I called that out I was like oh you mean this article I wrote when I went back into the closet because I was terrified of this horrible gatekept industry yeah good good get there my dude thank you for flexing that you, you really did something there huh and the amount of people that were like who we're probably gonna see a lot more of this in the future aren't we and I'm like yeah dude because I like, I'm a guinea pig in this arena, and it sucks. Also, can we point out the fact that if you 
are a grown ass person and you have the same opinions about everything as you did when you were 18, there's something wrong with you. Fucking uh-huh. yes. <laughs> like, good God. If you if you haven't grown as a person since you were 18 years old, go walk into traffic. There's something has to end here. Like, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> like we we all grew up and had a point where we thought Garden State was the deepest movie ever. And oh, my God, I almost we... spit out my coffee. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's really profound when you're like 16. And then you grow up and go, it, and then it's your frontal fi- lobe finishes growing, and then yeah, like it's it's fine. It's just I personally have not revisited in a while. It's probably okay. It's a good good it's building for, blocks to deeper for, thoughts for non marginalized men. Yeah, right. I mean, and there's, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of this show is how many times have we been here where I'm like, I loved this movie when I was 12, and then Harmony's like, did you consider this? And I'm like. I guess I don't like this movie anymore. Thank you for pointing that out and taking my nostalgia glasses and running them over. I needed that. <laughs> well, it's like that that's I mean that that's a perfect example is that I think we're all trying to figure out how to hold space for the people we were when we were kids and, you know, and acknowledge the fact that a lot of these really crappy pieces of media gave us a little shred of something that was good or helped us build us who we are. And it's okay to hold both. It's okay to be like, yeah, I love this when I was young. And, and now that my brain is finished growing, I realize that it's fucking garbage. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, it doesn't have to be either or, you know, it's, you, you can, you can hold both pieces and, it's okay. You can, as you said before, you can contain multitudes. You can acknowledge that a lot of the movies and books that were popular in the 90s and early 2000s or in 80s, you know, were were bad and in so many fucking ways. But, you know, there was a little shred of something that taught you who you are, that you, you, or you, even if you just used it as a foothold to get a little higher and to get to a better place and you can, you don't have to turn back and ever use it again. Like, that that is a thing. You you can have both. Mm-hmm. Well, Harmony, I think the time has come. How to build a girl is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? So we talk a lot about how, like, particularly in like the new sphere of of streaming over the last like four years, uh, the teen movie specifically for teen girls has gotten weird and gotten lost. <laughs> and I think for this sure. is, this being a British release. And also probably overshadowed by Booksmart the previous year. Didn't do it any favors. But like, man, it's not this movie's fault that they had to pivot their marketing strategy from, oh, it's going to go into theaters to, oops, it's not going into theaters anymore. Because like, this is so good. I think this is just like a fantastic film. And I'm not upset that we now own a digital copy of it. Now, now if <laughs> this had been too. like, if this had been a situation where it's like, oh, I had to buy a digital copy of from Justin to Kelly, I'd be like, God damn it. What am I ever going to do with this? <laughs> but like this, I'll revisit this and I will enjoy my time with it and probably notice significantly more things and then try to figure out exactly when in the timeline this comes out. I think it's 1995. I think, but I'm not. Yeah, Harmony was doing some like, like I could see all of the mathematical equations appearing in front of her face, like that scene in The Hangover where she was like, like, she's got like a big wall with like a red, red yarn. Like, okay, well, this album came out this year, and this this was popular (laughs) here. That's exactly what she was doing. Like, she was sitting there. She's like, okay, well, Kurt Cobain died in this year, and then Tori Amos's album came out in this year, and then this person. (laughs) And she's like, like, okay, I think I figured it out. When did the Happy Mondays break up? When would Morrissey have been releasing an album to be at his most insufferable that even the music journalists would be fed up with him. When When is this in the timeline? <laughs> I just reached over and grabbed the book, Harmony. I will tell you that the at least the book takes place in 1990. Oh, well, that, that, that doesn't quite work for this movie, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm sure that they, there was a lot of uh, 
historical hand waving. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, incredible. Well, Mallory, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute delight. And you've got so many cool things going on in your life. What do you want people to know about what you've got cooking? Well, this is the perfect time to talk about the fact that I have my very first book for Teen Girls out this month. Uh, I was very, very afraid of writing for for teens and for kids, uh, but it's my first middle grade. It's called Girls Make Movies, uh, and I wrote it with my wonderful co-creator, Jen Vaughn, and it is, I believe, the first ever book on filmmaking that is specifically aimed at young girls. um, Mm, I love that. (laughs) I am... Not surprised, but also mad that here we are in 2023 and in the age of TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and social media and all these teen girls out there who are making videos and their own movies and doing all kinds of stuff. No one has thought to take a moment to teach them how movies are actually made and how you get a job in the film industry and what everybody who is on all the different jobs on a film set are, what they do, what tools they use, why they love their job. Um, You know, we, we have... There's been this big push, obviously, in the I, I'm saying post with massive 10 foot long quotation marks around it post me to age that we're in right now. Uh, and there's been this huge push to get more more women doing everything. And I'm uh, I'm all about that more, more, more women everywhere. But if we want that, if we want more female filmmakers and screenwriters, directors, producers, production designers, whatever it is, you know, we got to encourage them. You know, young boys are, are, are so encouraged and there's so many like jerk off movies about young filmmakers who were given a, 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 a film camera when they were young. But like you don't you don't see that a lot with young girls, you know. They're like, oh, you like movies. Cool. You can maybe you can write about them or you can watch them and little pat on the head. Like, that's it. And I I wish there was more stuff out there that's like, oh, you like movies? Why don't you be a fucking director? Why don't you learn how to do this? Like that. I I loved movies when I was a kid and no one ever took the time to be like, oh, you can make these if you want. And I didn't see, you know, we didn't have the internet when I was young. I didn't have IMDb. So I didn't know that there were women making movies and all of my my heroes when I was that age, uh, Dick Smith, Tom Savini, uh, Rick Baker, Jack Pierce, like all those guys, like that's all I saw as a young horror fan, you know, is just male directors, male special effects artists, male screenwriters. Um, and I like, I guess I sort of understood that women did things, but I didn't see it and no one was encouraging me. And like, and it took me into my twenties to realize that I could do that kind of stuff. And um, so I really wanted to create something that, not only encourages girls to get into movies, but teaches them how to do it and also shows them tons and tons of women's film history because women have been doing this shit from go. Women invented narrative film. <laughs> and uh, I'm really excited about it. My friend Jen, you know, she made such incredible uh, illustrations for it. And I think it is the world's first choose your own adventure styled nonfiction book. Uh, we're call- calling it pick your path, um, but it that's you make decisions about how to make your movie because I really wanted the girl or kid to, reading it to feel like they were in the driver's seat, feel like they were in the director's chair and to teach them what it feels like because that's one of the most exciting things about making a movie besides working with, with people to create something is like bringing your vision to life and I wanted them to have that 
that that experience of like okay you're making a zombie movie do you want your zombies to be cgi or do you want them to be practical effects and you got to flip to a certain page and depending on which you how you choose you're going to make a different type of movie and you there's even a path where you have to start again because you fucked up and you gotta you you (laughs) you blew everything up and you gotta start over like i want girls to have that feel feeling of power of being in control of uh you know i want to encourage them to to make shit and uh, in a very practical, non-conceptual, like very practical way. And the back of the book has uh, a little section where there's tons of resources for um, like uh, websites and videos for girls to like learn how to edit, learn, find other places where you can get film equipment, you know, teach you how to how, how to go to the library and learn how, and, and get the resources you need to start making a movie. And also there's a little uh, movie tracking area where you can start uh, listing all the movies you watch and what you thought of them and like think, have women and, or young girls start thinking critically about like the, the, the media that they, they consume and like what they thought of it. You know, I wish more teen girl, more people ask teen girls what they think of things you know mm-hmm. it all comes back to what we were talking before about the power of the love of teen girls and i want to i want to really uh, light a fire under that i want to give it rocket fuel and that's what this book is all about it's the book that i really wish i had when i was 11 years old and sitting six inches from our dusty ass tv trying to figure <laughs> out who, who who all the people uh, on the lord of the rings film crew were and what the fuck was a best boy and what was a grip like I if I could like go back in time through a wormhole like that this is the book that I desperately wanted when I was that age I can't tell if it's because it's really early and I haven't like fully kicked in my coffee yet but despite knowing what this book is about hearing you talk about it got me like real choked up just now (laughs) it's like I wish I had that book as a kid too but you had the same experience you're a director you're like you're a filmmaker Mm -hmm. you know exactly that experience like there was no in the in the fucking 90s there was no one going out like all right let's teach teen girls how to make movies oh hell no it was trial by fire (laughs) my life would have been i cannot tell you how all three of us imagine what our lives would have been like if we were that age and someone was like hey all this cool stuff you can do it you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like not only have people been doing it but here are the tools to learn how like i didn't get become a filmmaker until i was in my 20s because i just never saw a path forward like mm-hmm. imagine if someone like popped out of the uh, this is sounding creepy but like popped out of the woods it was like <laughs> surprise here's the path to like do shit like that is it, it's incredible that it doesn't exist yet but i am i'm very glad it's like that weird ambivalence that we all have of like, God, it's so annoying that here in 2023, nothing, this thing doesn't exist yet, but also kind of happy that you get to be the one to do it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's mostly what you keep doing is writing things that don't exist that should <laughs> exist. And like pri- prior to this, like the closest you would have gotten is like Lloyd Kaufman going, make a movie and then Those not the telling you anyway how no to. No fucking joke. I bought Produce Your Own Damn Movie when I was in my early 20s and I w- and wanted to get into it. Like that's all we had. And mm-hmm. like, love you, Lloyd, but like, he's not exactly like raking in uh, the the teen girl audience. So, yeah. right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just means so much to me, and I I really want to encourage. Like, if we want to see more more women doing things later in life, we've got to encourage them when they're when they're young. And this mm-hmm. now is there's no better time. You know, you can rent a fucking iPhone or a laptop from the library. Most teens, unless they're poor, which I was, so I understand if you if if you are like they, most teens have iPhones now. You have, PJ. Imagine when you were thirteen years old and wanted to make a horror movie. If you had a fucking iPhone, look. I if I could have made 
a f- movie on like my Nextel cell phone with direct connect that basically was just a glorified walkie talkie, <laughs> I would have. <laughs> totally get it. Oh my God. Yeah. The, like, but you're totally right though, because now like we have more access to resources than ever, but like no one is telling anyone how to do this. So you're, you're taking out the legwork of having to spend like hours on Google sifting through all of the stuff that's being promoted because it's an ad now and not actually helpful. <laughs> yes. Like, like this, this book is, I, I mean, obviously it's, it's meant towards like middle grade, but anybody can learn from this. Like it's never too late to start. It is never too late to rebuild yourself. No. And then, so I really tried to make the book and it's funny because I, I, one of the reviews that was something that they docked me for, and it's actually something that I, I am proud of is that it's a middle grade book, but I tried to make it, appealing to teens too and some one reviewer was like i don't know who this is for and i'm like thank you that's what i wanted because <laughs> i wanted it to appeal to an 11 year old and also a 16 year old and also maybe a 25 year old who doesn't because mm-hmm. so much about the way that things are made whether it's an album or a book or a movie is kind of kept behind this like veil of mystery you know and it, it's very especially if you're if you're starting out or you're you getting into the indie world, like I remember when I first started working in film, like I couldn't find a lot of resources to explain to me exactly like step by step how shit is done, you know, and definitely wasn't anything that was specifically like catered to young girls. There was just nothing. And I, I so I wanted to make it. And I'm like, all right, here's in a very simple way. Here's what everybody does. Like, it's so hard to explain. Sometimes people will be like, well, what's a producer? And it's, you know, it, it's, I, I took everything, all the all the main jobs on a film crew and like distilled it down to like, this is what they do in one sentence. So it's just like very easy to understand, very easily laid out. Like the book is set into four sections. It's development, pre-production, production, and post-production. And like, all right, here's what you need for this. And then you got that. And then you move on to the next stage. And this is what you need for this. And like, uh, it was... It, it took a while and it's sometimes some of those things are hard to distill down, but I'm glad that I did it. And I really, really, if there's like one fucking girl out there who gets into film because of this book, I will consider my job done. Oh, <laughs> oh I love that so much. If people want to find out more about your book or about your work, where can they find you on the internet if you want them to find you? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, don't find me. Uh, uh, all of, Everything that I do is at Mallory, MallaryOmera.com. Uh, I used to be on Twitter a lot. I am not as much anymore. Wise. <laughs> <laughs> Just be, I don't even know if it's useful anymore. Like, I don't know if anyone's seeing anything that I say. Uh, I'm on Instagram a lot more at Mallory O'Mara. Uh, I have a newsletter on my website. And if you're interested in the book, you can get it anywhere where books are sold. Uh, if you want to get a signed copy from me and Jen, uh, you have to get it from Skylight Books. Uh, that's the only place we're currently doing a, a dual signing because Jen lives in France right now. So she's coming over <laughs> for, for this event. Uh, yeah, the, you can get. You can order the book right now and uh, throw it at teen girls. And as always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title for our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by How to Build a Girl? So, I I needed something to be, like, all femme all day, and so the band I am shouting out this week is Jules and the Rollers. Both Jules and Rollers are spelled with Zs. 
They're, uh, they're a band that's been around for a couple years and haven't released a proper full album, but have been consistently releasing at least a couple singles every single year for the last several years. Their three most recent of Wildest Fantasy, Be Something New, and Sorry I'm a Waste of Time are my favorite. I, I, I think it's really cool to see like their evolution of a band as they're releasing new songs. But they've got like a, a, a sort of old school sound of rock, but like old school by way of the 90s doing a more old school interpretation of things. They're loud in the way that like 90s all girl bands are loud. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very appropriate fit for this movie. So go ahead and give them a listen. Keep your eyes out for when they eventually release new stuff and a full album, I would assume, on the horizon. And once again, that is Jules and the Rollers. Alrighty. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. Build yourself, build up and tear down, till one day you're just you. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.